All right. Well, hey, everybody, thanks for joining us for this episode of Real Live Talk. I'm so pumped that you're here to catch this conversation with Jeff Dio. Uh, Jeff Dio is back with me for round two. So excited that he's back on the show. And uh, yeah, really excited that you're here to check this episode out. If you get anything out of this, if it blesses you, challenges you, encourages you, if you would consider subscribing or sharing or leaving a review or any of that stuff, depending on where you're watching and or listening to this podcast, really, really appreciate it. Uh, Jeff, man, I'm uh, I'm so honored that you're that you're back with me again. So thanks so much for being here. Yeah, man, I appreciate it, dude. Excited to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, this is awesome, man. Just just before we jump into uh, some new stuff, I want to talk about your book and some other things that are going on. But just before we jump into that, for anybody that uh, may not be familiar with who you are, if you would just share a little bit about who you are and what you do. For sure, for sure. So, you know, there's a lot of different things that I have my hands in. Uh, I realized probably about five, six, seven years ago that kind of everything that I do revolves around communication. Uh, really, I just have a huge passion for God. And then all that I do is just a way of communicating that passion, that love for God. So, for example, some people might know me from back in the day as a part of the band Sonic Flood. Uh, back in 1999, right? Uh, many, many years ago, I was in that band. I was the lead singer for that band uh, for the first two albums, Sonic Flood, Self-Titled, and then Sonic Praise. And so people would remember me from that. And then also continued as a worship leader, songwriter uh, for the next few years, releasing a bunch of albums with Goatee Records and Indelible Records. And uh, so had a bunch of songs out there. So people kind of know me as a worship leader, but then kind of transitioned about 12 years ago, still a worship leader, still traveling, but doing some worship team coaching and then also taking a position at North Central University here in Minneapolis, uh, where I'm a professor and I teach songwriting and I teach worship leading to the next generation. So I uh, also have a podcast of my own. Also a huge part of what I do is I'm an author too, as you as you mentioned there, we got a book going on. So uh, just have my hands in a lot of things. Any way that I can help people love the Lord more, that's my heart. Yeah, man, that's so awesome. And uh, for anybody that didn't catch the first episode that we did, you'll have to go back a few months. I think it was right around episode number thirty nine. No, 34, 36, somewhere around there, <laughs> somewhere in the in the mid 30s. to late thirties, and. Uh, yeah, uh, but I would I would encourage you to go back and check out that episode because in that episode we do get into a little bit more of sort of the behind the scenes and going back in time talking about those early days of Sonic Flood and the worship movement of that time and everything. So I feel like that was a really that was really cool. It was a really fun conversation. Of course, we talked about worship and and some other things as well. But it was uh, that was a really cool conversation. So I'd encourage you guys to go back and check that out. Uh, today I wanted to uh, you have a brand new book out called Spark that I want to get into. Uh, before we jump into that, because I feel like once we get rolling, we we may uh, just kind of hang around that for the rest of the podcast. And I don't want to forget. Um, I know you've got a whole bunch of music and you've got albums and stuff out there on Spotify and some other platforms. Uh, just give a quick plug to, to your stuff and, and where uh, people can find that. Yeah, for sure. Again, I kind of have a bit of an eclectic... Uh, <laughs> compilation of songs and music out there, but uh, the majority of what I have are worship songs. And so you can kind of find me, certainly Jeff Dio on Spotify, Apple Music, all that. I have a bunch of albums um, from the Sonic Flood days, but then also from my uh, solo 
worship leading days album like saturate there's one called light one called surrender that we recorded live uh in new zealand of all places really really cool just um just a real passionate flowing spontaneous music but uh worship explosion i don't know uh, on that that surrender cd and then had one called unveil which currently is not available but I'm about to re-release it uh, actually in March, on March 11, I believe is the day I'm going to re-release Unveil. I personally think it's one of my absolute best uh, worship CDs of all time. But just uh, mm. because record companies changed, it didn't uh, we didn't continue to be on Spotify. So I'm re-releasing that uh, March 11. So you'll be unveiling <laughs> Unveiled, huh, Jeff? Yes. See what so I did good, there? Dude. So good, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So yeah, that's I'll be here all week, folks. <laughs> we'll be here all day, guys. We'll be here all day. Uh, <laughs> Tip so, your waitresses. Yeah, we've got that. You know, if you went way back, and this is something that maybe you can be looking forward to. I'm actually before all the worship stuff, before Sonic Flood, I actually recorded two rap albums. Dude, and I, <laughs> I had a feeling, man. I don't know what it was. I had a feeling that there was some hip hop in your past. I was literally thinking about asking you about it today, and I, I I don't know what maybe maybe I knew like maybe there was some kind of subconscious knowing that it was out there, uh, but that's awesome. Well, I I haven't finalized it yet, but just kind of dropping this out there, I'm really seriously considering. It's never been out there other than we recorded cassettes and CDs from back in the day. Like we're talking like 1993, 1995. You know, this is back in the 1900s. Uh, but none of these, these, this music has never been released on the digital platforms for streaming services and stuff. So I'm seriously considering releasing uh, part of these two albums that I put out in May and not only releasing it to the streaming services, but also on vinyl. Wow. So uh, really seriously considering that it's in process, working through the details and everything. So I'm really excited about that. Not going to, I probably will remaster, but not going to remix. Uh, there's some good mm. stuff there. It still has its 1990s feel to it. Um, so I want to keep that. But uh, so that's coming. And then the, the latest music that I put out actually was put out a little over a year ago, maybe a year and a half or something like that, 14 months. <clears throat> Uh, put out a piano instrumental uh, album. And so it's called From Eternity. And of course, that's on Spotify, Apple Music, all those streaming services. And it's been great to see that Duke, because there's been a whole new audience that has been exposed to my music. And this music, to me, it, it goes way back because one of the songs was actually written when I was in college. So really? This, it's kind of like this modern classical slash movie score type of piano music kind of emotional anthemic mm -hmm. type of music and i wrote so that would have been 91 even before the wow. rap album that i wrote this once on then have kind of over the course of the last 20 25 years written some more of these songs um so there's a bunch of songs on there uh, and we also have a bunch of videos music videos that that we recorded with them as well on YouTube, the YouTube channel, all that good stuff. Um, but super excited about it because I've, I've had a whole different group of people. For example, if you're a person out there that struggles to fall asleep at night, 
this mm-hmm. would be the kind of music that you would put on and you would just kind of put in the background and it's just peaceful and you would fall asleep to that. Or maybe it's just having it on in the house all day long. It's a worshipful, worshipful atmosphere, though there's no lyrics. It's all instrumental, but it's just a calming music um, that is also creative and um, yeah, beautiful, I would say. So definitely a different take for Jeff Dio, but it was about time to put that out there because, you know, here's the thing, dude. I actually did not start as a singer. I started playing the piano when I was six. And my wow. mom and dad put me in piano lessons and I started taking classical piano. I was playing Beethoven, Bach, Chopin, all those, th- all those things. And then started creating my own music too. So there's a lot of different influences, the pop and the classical kind of converging together. Uh, but I think people will really enjoy that music. It's a great type of music to put on while you're praying or to mm. kind of set the mood. I've, I, we have a Monday night prayer service at our church and several times I've heard the engineer put that music on as the background for our praying time and stuff. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, uh, man, a lot of things there I want to talk about. <laughs> but, uh, well, first of all, from eternity, um, I highly recommend it. After our last conversation, I checked it out and I fell in love with it, man, to be honest with you. And um, I've used it. I've used it at least twice in our church services. Wow. Um, particularly, I really love the um I don't know if it's the way the way it comes up for me on Spotify from eternity is the title of the first track. Is that yeah? Yeah. Is that normal? Okay. Uh yeah. So that track from eternity, um, I love that man. I instantly just it just really connected with me and I fell in love with it. It's just calm, it's soothing, it's worshipful, it's anointed. And um yeah i started using it on my own when i just want something that's background and i just you know worship is a really uh, worship music our music is a really awesome tool when it comes to connecting with god in worship and not that we have to always have music on by any means but it becomes a really awesome awesome tool and sometimes you don't necessarily want a song that's got lyrics to it you just want something that's there to kind of help you focus whatever you're doing maybe you're just reading scripture or just talking to the lord or whatever and uh it's been it's been awesome for me i really love it i really um i really uh, encourage everybody to check that out so it's jeff dio from eternity on uh on spotify apple music and uh and places like that so yeah definitely nice. check that out um but yeah thank you for doing that jeff i know i'm sure that was probably because of different style and things from what you've normally done i'm sure that was you responding in obedience to something that the holy spirit put on your heart to do and it's cool to see that when you do that and you kind of step outside of the normal or even step outside of the what you what we have as sort of a comfort zone and just in response to what the lord is doing what the lord is saying for that season that he you know, when he's breathing on something, he'll just he'll use it in ways that go beyond our thinking or beyond our comprehension. So it's yeah. really cool. It's, it's really fun to see how the Holy Spirit leads us through these things. Right. Because I wasn't ever really planning on putting that out, but it almost felt like I was being a poor steward of what the Lord had given me. Because I I mean, you know, mm. I'm, I'm a person who feels that the Lord inspires us and gives us these creative songs and all that stuff so i felt like this is something that he gave me and i was kind of holding it for myself and not really sharing it uh one of the i'll tell you a quick story real quick about the song from eternity you know 
on my 2012 uh, Moving Mountains album, mm-hmm. I actually have a song there called Eternity or From Eternity to Eternity. And it's actually the worship song with lyrics that is closely connected to the piano version of that you were talking about that's recorded. Okay. They have mm-hmm. one of the main melodies that, that they share, but then a whole bunch of new music for the piano. And what's amazing, what's really interesting to me about it is, is that a friend of mine, Jonathan Lee and I had kind of written the worship song from eternity together at my, in my studio in Nashville uh, a few years back. Well, prior to 2012 and we we're trying to figure out like, well, what could the arrangement be? What could an introduction, like a musical type of introduction or something like that. So then in 2000, well, it was before 2009 that we wrote that. So then 2009 the summer, I went to visit, our whole family went to visit my sister and her husband in Austria and there were missionaries over there. And so we went over there and stayed with them for three weeks. Well, they have a little piano and I was just sitting down and I was just messing around on the piano and I started to write the theme music that you hear at the very beginning that kind of goes throughout the song, the piano version of the song at that time, it wasn't connected at all to the worship song from eternity to eternity. So I'm on a different continent now writing this music. And to me, it was just an instrumental instrumental song. Then that, that, uh, well, January 10 of 2010, we moved to Minneapolis where I start teaching at North Central University. And I remember going up to one of the practice rooms and I was playing that song again after having written it or written part of it in Austria. And then all of a sudden it hit me, huh, wait a minute. I wonder if that song could work with the from eternity to eternity worship song. And I started to put those together. I was like, oh my goodness, this is perfect. So there are elements from both songs in each other's song, but there's new elements from each song in the other version of the song as well. So uh, it's it's fun to think that that song kind of came together on two different continents. That's awesome, man. So cool. Uh, one of the other things that, that, I, that I wanted to, to ask you about while you were talking, this is just sort of, I guess, like a, a metadata question, so to speak. But sure. do you, when you were six years old and you started playing the, the piano, was that something like, were you showing a propensity towards music at that point or toward the piano? Or was that something that your parents just uh, decided to put you in to see if it was something that you liked or not? How did that work? Like, did it start with your parents or did it start with you? Or do you even know? Yeah, no, I mean, I would say other than the fact that we all kind of sang as, as, as a family, um, you know, of course at six, I'm not like uh, some people do, but I wasn't like a child prodigy or anything, you know, amazing. Uh, I, we all kids, sang. My, my dad was in a trombone trio of all things when he was in college, a traveling trombone trio. <laughs> and my mom was right. a voice That's major awesome. in college. You know, my sister ends up being a flute performance major at Wheaton college. She's a, she's about three and a half years older than me. So music kind of in our blood. Right. But my yeah. parents just said, hey, let's put you in piano lessons. I'm like, no, okay, whatever that means, you know. And so they started taking piano, and it really started to take pretty quickly. Um, I was enjoying playing the classical things, you know, or the, the elementary classical versions of things when I was starting. But then I also started to 
kind of mess around and just write my own, just kind of playing. Maybe I would say I was ad-libbing at first more than writing other things. I honestly started, uh, if you remember the song, um, what's it called? Da, 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 ba, da, 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 heart and soul, heart oh, and soul. Yeah, heart and yeah, soul. Everybody, yeah, you know, from the Tom Hanks movie back in the day and heart and soul, that, that song, I started playing that, but then started making up my own music around that. Cool. And so I think that was like the first time that I started stepping outside the boundaries of music that was written and started to add some of my own things. And so then from there, our my piano teacher started to encourage me to write music and notate. So I was writing the music down. I was piano. Like, I think my first song was called A Night on a Horseback, you know, K-N-I-G-H-T. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, my mama still has that one. I think it's framed and on her wall. No, just kidding. Uh, but you know, <laughs> you gotta, just a you gotta turn that into song. an NFT, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's how the writing side of it started. And then as I got into uh, middle school, then I started writing some little love songs because I noticed, I don't remember if we talked about this on the last podcast, but I noticed that when you, you sat down at a piano and started playing and singing, the girls gathered around. So, just instantly more attractive, just like boom. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And then when I got into to high school, there was this deepening of my walk with the Lord. And so it was like my three loves came together, like God, music, and people. And I saw some of my peers drifting from God in my high school, high school years. So I started writing some scripture songs to try to challenge and encourage and, and all that uh, for, for my peers. So, yeah. Hmm. That's beautiful. That's awesome. Well, uh, let's jump in, man, to this to this book. So you've got this brand new book out. The book is called Spark, Igniting the Culture of Pure Worship in Your Teams and Your Congregation. Uh, what kind of prompted you to write this book, Jeff? Yeah. So, you know, unlike my first book, which we talked about on the last podcast, Awakening Pure Worship, Awakening Pure Worship was really written for anybody who says, man, I just really want to grow my walk with God. I, I'm tired of being average. I'm tired of just kind of dragging yeah. myself along. I want to have a deepening, an awakened uh, relationship with God. That's more than just singing, more than just church services, even though that's important. But I want to worship God with my life. So that's kind of that first book. This second book has been one that has been developing specifically over the last really 12 years since I've been here Mm. at North Central University. Uh, I teach one of my classes is called worship leading. (laughs) So and we have worship leading majors and music pastor majors at North Central University. And so all of those students have to take this class worship leading. And it's a very practical like how do you lead worship? What does it look like to to you know to uh, to uh, help your teams grow uh, your your worship teams? What does it look like to inspire a congregation or to take them to the deeper places of God's presence? So really, this is I mean you know there's a couple of different subtitles. One of the subtitles uh, is it spark a comprehensive worship leadership handbook. You know so yeah. this is isn't necessarily, even though I would say at least half of the book, you know, would be something that anybody who loves God that wants to grow in their walk with God could glean uh, things from. There's, there's a lot in here about just leadership in general and building teams and, and uh, leading a congregation and, and our groups of people. So 
uh, all that. But this is really specifically for worship pastors and worship leaders, even pastors that have a heart to build culture. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the very first things that I say in the intro, the first line, I say, I don't want to teach you how to lead worship. I want to teach you how to spark culture, kingdom culture. So yes, there are tons of things in here that are real practical about how to lead worship, how to lead a team, how to run a rehearsal, how to do transitions, how to, you know, uh, you know, show passion on a stage and all those types of things, how to be authentic. Uh, But my goal here is not to make worship leaders, but to create leaders who are number one, passionate and who are um, authentic in their in their following of Christ, but then also show those leaders, lead them to be able to help others, help their congregation their, and their teams to be the passionate, authentic Christ followers that mm. God's called us to be. Well, yeah, well, I, um, I, I highly recommend the book. I, I think that it's very, that it's very well written. Um, and there's, uh, so many concepts in this book that I'm just like, whoa, like you go after some things in this book that I'm like, you don't, you don't pull too many punches. And, and I think that it's so needed and it's, uh, it's just, it's just really refreshing. And I think that, so yeah, for sure. I would say if if you're a worship leader, worship pastor, um, or if you lead a, a ministry or, you know, you're a pastor, you lead some kind of a ministry, um, you definitely need to check this book out. But, uh, but I, I do think that. For sure, especially the beginning sections of the book is is definitely relevant. I think for everybody um, yes. on on different levels, you know what I mean. But uh, but yeah, it's it's something that I, I really highly um, recommend. You you talk you talk some about the deception of thinking that we can just sort of absorb God or absorb more of God by doing things for God. And I sure. think that every everybody who's in ministry, around ministry, um, who spends time in, you know, you don't even have to be a full time minister in terms of you get paid for it. You could just be somebody who's like on a leadership team and you spend a lot of time at the church. You know, if you're at the church on twice on Sunday, maybe Wednesday night, and then you're back on yeah. Friday and maybe you're at church for some other meeting or worship rehearsal or choir rehearsal or whatever it is. You know, you get you spend you spend so much time around the church and quote unquote around the things of God that I think that you can fall into this trap of thinking that because you're around those things, you're automatically going to be growing. And there is an aspect of our growth for sure that happens in community. There's an aspect of our growth for sure that happens through hearing the teaching of the word of God when we're in those corporate settings and through the corporate worship experience. But it's definitely not enough to sustain you. you. You need that time with God where it's you and him, because that's where real relationship and intimacy with God is cultivated. And I love that you really pretty early on in the book, you start going after a lot of those things, those mindsets that I think that a lot of ministers in particular fall into that because I'm working on my sermons or because I'm working on my worship sets or because I'm you know doing these different things, whatever, whatever it is, that uh, that equals growth in the Lord. And it's it's such a deceptive thing. It can be that we can, you know, fall into. And, and I love that you went after that. And again, not pulling punches, but but kind of, you know, really, really going after that in a way that helps us 
kind of see where we are and and kind of shows that for what it is i think that we all probably everybody who's been in ministry for any period of time probably knows to some extent has felt to some extent that sort of hollowness of i haven't been enough in god's presence this week and now i'm in this position where i have to pour out to other people (laughs) you know like whether that's worship leading or preaching or teaching a class or teaching a bible study or a small group or whatever it is it doesn't matter how many people you're in front of it's that thing of you can't pour out what you haven't been filled up with right and so there's this there's this sort of you know that that that's how i think of it like that sort of hollow feeling of i've got to try to give away more than what i have and it doesn't really work. I mean, there. granted, God's grace is awesome. And there's times when God shows up in your absolute weakness and inability and where you just feel lousy and you feel like you don't have anything to offer and God can just show up and move anyway. But as far as a consistency of lifestyle, yeah. that place in of, of God's presence and just regularly cultivating that relationship with him is absolutely key. And it's the most it's the thing that's the most key, I think, to being successful in ministry, right? I think you're hitting on it. You know, I mean, there are three sections for this book, right? And, and partially what, what I'm trying to say, and you've kind of touched on a bunch of it, but what I'm trying to help leaders remember, which I think we know these things, but we get trapped into living a different thing than what we know. Uh Uh, There's three tiers. So the first tier is, Hey, listen, if somebody was to come to me and say, Jeff, what is the number one thing that I can do to be a better worship leader? I want to be the best that I could be, you know, uh, then I would be like, well, you got to start with you because you can't lead people into places that you've not been. Yeah. You know, like if you tried to be a tour guide in the Grand Canyon, I share this story in the book, you know, uh, and you go to the Grand Canyon and they hire you and say, all right, go ahead. And, you know, there's a group over there. Go ahead and be the tour guide. And you're like, wait, there's one problem. I've never actually been to the Grand Canyon. You know, like how good of a tour guide are you going to be if you've never been on the tour? And I love this analogy because you can take it really far. You say, okay, if you did get that job, how would you start your training? Well, you would go down on the tour, probably have a guide for you, a tour guide for you and show you all the different things. And maybe you'd have a, a booklet that would show you on teach you and you would spend time by yourself learning the tour. Right. And so yeah. that when you're yeah. down with a group of people, you're not reading the notes. It's part of who you are. It's part of your DNA. Mm-hmm. You're not like, well, I love Jesus. Um, you should love him too. <laughs> um, you're reading your notes. You know, it's, it's become a part of you. And you're just like, oh yeah, look at that rock over there and look at this Canyon over here. And it was this wide and it's 34 football fields and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just coming out of you because you've put it in you. And so yeah. the book starts with, dealing with self. Like for an example, um, one of the deals that I've made with myself and that's, this book is not just me telling people what to do. This is honestly my journey in me personally wanting to be authentic before the Lord, wanting to be the best worship leader. I could be wanting to be effective in leadership, all those things. And me then just sharing what God has been teaching me, the struggles, the pains, the tearing, the, the, you know, all of that stuff. Um, But one of the examples, I've made a deal with myself that most of the time, I would say at least 95% of the time, when I'm planning for a set, um, maybe a Sunday or I'm going out of town to lead worship at a church and we've got five or six songs that we're learning for the weekend, that during the week prior, 
I am very rarely putting my time alone with God and putting those songs on because mm. I find that if I'm putting those songs on, I'm kind of doing like double duty. I'm like worshiping God with one eye, but I'm trying to learn the lyrics with the other one. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I'm, I'm doing I'm doing the work of ministry while I'm trying to connect with God. It's kind of like the pastor who finds himself only studying the word to to create his sermon for the week. Absolutely. You know, like you got to yep. get part. Yes. Yes. Stay in God's presence while you're creating the sermon and while you're learning the songs for the weekend. But separate yourself. So I, I just pick out other songs that I can completely lose myself, not worry, because I want to be authentic. So that's that first tier is going, okay, I can't take people where I haven't been. So I go through tons of information and ideas uh, about how to spend time with God. I mean, we, you know, we don't talk about these things easily because, you know, like obviously everybody knows how to spend time with God, right? But maybe you you could use some help on what I do to, to keep it authentic. And maybe I could use some help on, Luke, what you do in your time alone with God that might inspire me and oh man i never thought of that i could do what duke is doing and that might change the way yeah. i approach god so i share a lot of my personal secrets in this book about how i spend time alone with god um, so that's first tier second tier uh is really then see and this is the deception a lot of times leaders think that their first role is to the big group to the congregation so like right. a youth pastor might think, oh, my role is to, to, to minister to the kids. But a lot of youth pastors don't understand that their role is to build a youth staff because they can't, they can't run wow. the youth group by themselves. And so yeah. they have to actually build a youth staff and part to them, lead them, challenge them so that the youth staff can help the youth pastor minister to the students. Otherwise, it's going to stay small because the youth pastor is trying to do all the work by themselves. Wow. So this is the same thing that worship leaders have to do. Their number one priority, even though they know that they're leading the congregation, is to build teams. You cannot give your congregation. Wow. You can't impart to your congregation things you haven't imparted to your teams. If your teams are bickering behind stage and sarcastic and they're not actually spending time alone with God, how in the world do we think that's going to flow off the stage and into mm. the congregation? Whatever's yeah. happening in your teams is going to flow off into the congregation. That's just the way it works. So tier two is learning how to develop your teams musically. So I get into all that stuff. How to do a sound check, how to do a rehearsal. Again, you know how to do rehearsals. People know how to do that stuff, but maybe you haven't heard some ideas that I do. Maybe I haven't heard some ideas that you do. So I give you lots of practical things. Um, rehearsals, music, but then also had to develop your team spiritually and really challenge them and keep them accountable to being authentic in God's presence so yeah. that it's not a show because nobody wants it to be a show. Nobody's setting out for it to be a show, but sometimes it turns into one, like you said, because maybe we haven't spent time with God. So we're up there like smiling. We love Jesus. Yes, we do. Wow. You feel a little bit guilty because wow. I haven't spent time in God's presence, you know, so we want to develop them authentically, challenge them, iron sharpens iron behind the stage, off the stage, so that when we get on the stage, the rivers of living water truly are flowing through us. And then that third, uh, third tier becomes easier because you've dealt with tier one and tier two. Now you're not feeling like, gosh, I wish I had developed myself spiritually before I got up to lead these, these people. Now you've got so much in you. You know, we talk about yeah. 
chapter one, digging the well is uh, you can only offer what's in your well in public. So mm-hmm. I can't give the congregation something that's not in my well. Uh, you know, so sometimes people's wells are dry and you got dirt and you, or you got uh, stagnant water, right? You're just like yeah. into that, throwing it out on the congregation. <laughs> they're like, oh, you know, but, but now I'm trying to, and, and here, I know I'm talking a lot here, but I just want to give you an overbook, an overview of this book. Um, the third tier is this idea of building culture in your church. And I, I think that there's, there's a, massive disconnect Duke a lot of times for worship leaders because we fall into this tyranny of the urgent. We're just trying to get through for this sure. Sunday. I got to yeah, go these songs. I got to know these scriptures. I got to get the band together. And we're literally living what I call paycheck to paycheck, but it's just Sunday to Sunday. And the Holy spirit is asking us to back up and say, okay, where is God leading us? Where are mm. we as a church? Where yes. would God like us to be? Like if this right here is kingdom culture, this is where we're supposed to be. And our church is kind of over here, touching a little bit, you know, but not matched up. Then what do we need to do to start moving our congregation slowly, but surely like mm. biblically? There's nothing in this book. There's nothing in this book that I ask anybody to do that's not coming from the Bible. But there's a lot of things in the Bible that honestly I think we're not doing yeah. in our services. So if this is kingdom culture and your church is here, that's awesome. But let's still continue to move this direction so that we are hand in hand with God's presence. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. And, and it's, it, you know, one of the things that that you you bring up in the book too is that idea that if the culture in your church is not where you want it to be, so often like what we do as leaders is we'll we'll kind of blame other people, we'll blame the congregation, we'll blame people for well they don't show up on time or you know they don't raise their hands enough in worship or they don't connect enough or they're they this they're that and it's like okay well who's the one like. Who, who is the one or who are the ones who are responsible for creating the culture in the church that that you that you want to create? You know, so exactly. at the end of the day, we've got to look in the mirror as leaders and look at what is the culture that we are promoting? Are we just promoting things that make everybody feel comfortable because it's the way that we've always done things? Yes. Or, you know, are we really moving toward, as you said, the biblical model, the kingdom a kingdom model for, you know, what we should, what we should be doing, you know, because at the, at the end of the day, you know, it's the, the people who are in those positions of leadership that are essentially responsible for the culture that's being formed in the church. That's a, that's a tricky thing for sure. Once something's been established to shift it. And I, and I like that, as you said that it's like little, little by little, (laughs) little by little moving into the where where you want it to be where god is leading leading you to be but it should never be our stance as people in leadership to just kind of throw up our hands and be like well this is just the way that it is and so we got to keep it's like the way we've, we've always move. done it right oh, nice. this is the way we've always done it you know yeah well, I, don't know. I mean like let me give you an example too right um i i when i travel a lot of times there um there there'll be two services right and so I'll, i'm always trying to figure out the culture of wherever i travel 
And so I'm kind of asking questions. Hey, how do you handle the transition between the services? You know, let's say a service is that once service starts at 930 and one starts at 11. So then they're like, okay, well, yeah, we try to be done by 10 app or uh, be 1040 so that we have about a 20 minute turnaround. Or we try to be done by 1030 so we have a 30 minute turnaround. And so, you know, they'll say something like, you know, so we really need to stay close on time, you know, because that first service, we don't really have much leeway. Now, the yeah. second service, we could have a little bit more leeway. So no big deal. But we really need to be tight on time. And it's almost as if the culture was given to them. And I want to kind of say, like, again, it's not a problem if you only want to have a 60 minute service. My opinion is that, and again, there are there are churches that go four or five hours, right? So my yeah. opinion is it's difficult to accomplish what the Holy Spirit wants to accomplish in less than 90 minutes. Now, that's my opinion. Um, uh -huh. But here's the thing. It's almost like these leaders are saying to me, well, we just are forced into not having flexibility in our service. And my question is, who set the service times? You know, right. like, <laughs> I mean, if you're upset with, if you're good with it, be good with it. But if you, if you feel pressure, like, oh, if the Holy Spirit was to do something powerful, we would be in trouble because the parking lot's just going to be jam-packed, right? <laughs> yeah, we got right. Why not? Say, okay, if we don't like the way the current culture is, why not go 9-11 or something? You know, like, like it's not like you're stuck. You, If your congregation always shows up late, you know, I'll go to some, and I sit, share this in the book, right? I go to some churches and they're like, hey, when you do the first song, that actually signifies to the people in the atrium, in the foyer, that mm -hmm. they, they can start coming in. <laughs> like, Yeah, man. Can we just tell them to come in? <laughs> like it's a cultural thing. If they see yes. that you're starting on time and you communicate, hey, we want to be starting together as a body. Don't be grabbing your donuts and coffee as the service begins. Do that first and then be it's just a cultural, it's a leadership issue. You know, if you don't like them kind of wasting the first song, I don't mean to be so harsh, but are we wasting the first song because people are just coming in, putting their Bible yeah. down? And yeah. you know, why couldn't we just create a culture that says, hey, let's start together? Anyway, so it's as if people don't realize that or leaders don't realize they think that the culture has just been handed to them and there's nothing they can do about it. But mm. I'm telling you, you can do something about it and the Holy Spirit will help you. That's so good, man. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think I, we we overcomplicate things. And I, I think that uh, I think that so often we can there's like this fear of wanting to switch things up because people don't want to upset people or yes. what? Like, I don't know. I don't know, man. I'll give you I an just... example if you want me to. <laughs> <laughs> Please. I mean, Please. OK, so, for example, um, I've seen a lot of churches in these days. Even ones that would say, hey, we're a Pentecostal church. Um, I know there's lots of different folks out there with different different flow as far as and the way that yeah. you understand the Holy Spirit and all that stuff. But um, maybe even a Pentecostal church it seems like in our modern worship settings, there's been this prevailing thought or maybe it's a newer thought. I don't know that, hey, we have realized that Sunday morning is really for the unbeliever. So therefore, uh, if that is true, 
then we need to make sure that the service is created with the unbeliever in mind. Now, there's a couple of things that I have issue, I take issue with on this thought. Number one, I don't read in scripture that our gatherings are primarily for evangelistic purposes. And I know people are like, right. what are you talking about? Like, aren't we supposed to win the lost? Absolutely. However, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 lays out the fivefold gifts, the ministry, prophet, prophets, teachers, evangelists, apostles, and the pastors. other one. What was <laughs> pastors. The, is that the pastors? The one yeah. that we know the most, right? Pastors. <laughs> uh, so those five, it says that their job, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, their job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Yes. Now, if that's true, then our Sunday gatherings are not primarily for unbelievers, but to equip the the believers to go out into the world and touch the lost and and, and actually win them to Christ in their workplaces. Uh, And I can get into a whole thing about that. But But Jeff, Jeff, that's what our midweek discipleship is for. (laughs) Right, right. Because we don't want to. And here's the thing. Okay, here's the other issue that I take with this. I agree that we should consider unbelievers in our services. I don't think primarily, but I do think we should consider them. But the question is now back in the day, right? We had this term called seeker friendly. Seeker friendly. I talk about this in the book. I I know this generation doesn't even know necessarily what seeker friendly is. Seeker friendly is that idea of what I just said, where your primary focus is when we design our services, we need to think of the seeker first or the unbeliever first. First, now I'm telling you biblically that's not correct. We need to think mm-hmm. of, this, of the believer first, so that that person can be growing in Christ and then go out and win the lost. Amen. But if yep. you were to consider secondly the unbeliever, there's a misunderstanding because I actually my first thought is I don't agree with seeker friendly ideas, like where we say okay, because the idea would be if we're considering the seeker first, then we need to dumb down the service. We don't want to do anything weird. We don't want to do anything crazy. We definitely don't want to message in tongues. You know, and we definitely don't (laughs) want to like flow or sing something on the stage that might be different than the words on the screen or dance or heaven Mm. forbid, you know, you Mm. would spin around or something like that. You know, you you you? need to keep it in, you know, kind of keep it under control in order to win the seeker. But here's the thing. I truly, truly do believe, and the Holy Spirit hit me on this, and I wrote a blog about it before I put it in the book. I do agree that we should be seeker-friendly. The issue I take is what exactly is friendly to the seeker. And I believe that taking out the Holy Spirit, removing Mm. the supernatural element is the most unfriendly thing you can do for the seeker. come on. Because they can go to any concert or venue down the street and experience what we're trying to give them in our man-made services. But to take out the Holy Spirit is actually detrimental and very unfriendly to the, to the seeker. They need to come face to face with the power of God and let the chips fall where they may. You know, like if, obviously there's going to be people that, that run that are like, this is crazy. I want to be a part of it. But there's going to be other people. Yes. That fall on their face. Yeah. And surrender, overwhelmed by a God who moves 
in supernatural power. And they're, and the deal is they're going to be changed forever. There are some that will walk away. Yes, we will lose them, like the rich young ruler who mm-hmm. walked away, right? But there yeah. are others that are changed forever because they truly encounter God. I know you're interested. Man, I am, <laughs> I am 1,000% on board with everything you just said, man. That was, whew. you know, oh, there's this... Um, there's this thing that happens if we're if we're doing that if we're taking the seeker friendly model where we're wanting to consider where people are and I'm not saying and again I'm not saying there's no consideration but but where we're wanting to consider just the new the the new people and the evangelistic side of things and so if we're gearing our services to making everybody feel comfortable at what point can we expose them to let's say the next level or the next step because at, yeah. at what point do you do that? Because if you're constantly, you know, where do you do? You got to take them into a back room somewhere. <laughs> you got to take yeah. them into some sort of a specialty like training seminar or class or whatever yeah. it is. You know what I mean? And so if we're establishing that the Holy Spirit is very much a part of our culture, the move of God is very much a part of our culture. It's the atmosphere that yeah. we create right from the very beginning. You're exposing people to that from the very beginning. It's not like this thing, like if we don't do it that way, then at some point, if we want them to experience God on a deeper level, we've got to figure it out. We've got to figure out like, okay, well, how can we create an event that's for this kind of person that needs to go to that next level? And we just overcomplicate things. Whereas if we, you know, you use this word a lot in your book, the this idea of authenticity and being authentic. And w- what you just said there, man, about you know, being seeker friendly, if we really want to be friendly, the most unfriendly thing we can do is remove the presence of the Holy Spirit from their from our from our people. And I think that's the same thing with authenticity. We've got to be who we are and we've got to show people who God is. Yes. You you talk in the book too about being um facilitators of the move of God help you know being facilitators of an encounter with God that even from the perspective of a worship leader from a worship team our number one goal and this will ruffle some feathers but our number one goal is not to be on the platform having the worship experience of a lifetime personally I mean I mean great enjoy God's presence while you're up there but your number one goal is not for you to get lost in worship on the stage your number one goal as the worship leader is to facilitate an encounter for the people that are there so that they can have a profound experience with the holy spirit and they can yeah they can have that that they can experience yeah. the move of god where where they are on a yeah. corporate level but you know and and it's like if we take that away for the sake of wanting to be quote unquote friendly or make people feel comfortable I just love what you said. It was just beautiful, man. The, the way you the way you presented that we're kind of like shooting people in the foot from the very beginning and setting ourselves up for failure where now we've got to try to figure out how to craft the culture that we really want to have. But we're the ones who put ourselves in that bad position in the first place because we tried to make it comfortable. Yes. I mean, you know, I know that, that like you said, it kind of ruffles some feathers. The, the reason that we have to understand as leaders, as a worship leader, our number one goal is not just to focus on me personally encountering God. Now, we talk about the first, as you said, the first five chapters are all about you spending time with God alone by yourself, right? So we're not saying that you shouldn't be a worshiper as a worship leader. 
But we're saying that's so ingrained in you already that your number one focus, it's easy for you to worship God on a stage now because you're not making that your primary time. So many worship leaders attempt to make their Sunday morning their only time that they worship God. And so they have to focus in. But now you have been digging the well. You have been digging the well all week. You've been hanging out with God all week. So you're in with him immediately on the stage. Now you can actually focus. I know there's a lot of controversy about this, Duke, because there are some folks, and they've told me on my YouTube page, they've told me, they said, that's not your job. Your job is to worship God and let it all happen, whatever happens after that. I'm like, man, I just want to serve people. I just want to help. If there's anything I can do, play softer, play louder, play longer, play shorter, shut up. You know, I mean, anything I can do as a leader to help people encounter God. And there are things that we can do. We can't force it. We can't make people encounter God, but there are things we can do to set the stage for potential encounter. And there are things that we can do to make it more difficult for people to have an encounter, right? I mean, I think we can all agree that there are things we can make worse. So if there are things that we can do that would make it worse, there are certainly things that we can do to make it better for people so that they can have, there's more of a chance, an opportunity for God and people to connect. You know, I mean, Mm. this whole thing with the secret friendly thing, the example that, that I, keeping my brain you you kind of mentioned it i feel like it's bait and switch because we're kind of like bringing them into this beautiful service we're entertaining them we're like oh it's a church wonderful isn't god he loves you so much and of course that's true but then how do you get the cross that transition splintery bloody nasty die to self like crucified with christ stuff in there well that will happen on wednesday right but it is a bit of a bait and switch Because like I even went to, I heard about a friend of mine who went to a church. He was interviewing. uh, He went up and did some announcements kind of in the middle of the service as part of his interview process and how he could communicate and everything. And then they brought him back getting ready for the second service. They said, hey, you know how you messed up, right? He's like, what do you mean? What did I do? What did I do? They, They forward the video to this one spot and they showed him where he said something about the blood of Jesus. Oh, no. Listen. We don't say blood in our church because blood is gross. We say love. We say the love of Jesus, the love of God. But we don't actually say the word blood because that might scare somebody away who doesn't know Jesus. Wow. (laughs) I mean, this is happening in real churches. That's a mega church that was, yeah, I won't go anymore. (laughs) I'm saying more than that. But that's real stuff. That's happening in real churches because the people, and again, I get this, Duke, the people who made that rule, they believe that they're doing good. They're, they're yeah. not trying to hurt people, right? They believe they're doing good to help the lost. But I'm telling you, that's the opposite of what we need to do. Now, do we need wow. to be teaching about the blood of Jesus? We can't be just throwing around Christian cliches, right? You know, if we talk about the blood of right. Jesus, we need to help people understand. But you can't take out the blood of Jesus. <laughs> I hope you're going to win the loss. <laughs> oh my goodness, that that blew my mind. Yeah, I've I've you know I know of churches that w- won't use the word sin. Sure, but or I, but hell, that's a, hell too. Or hell, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. That's that's too. We don't talk about uh, that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's too mean. Can't talk about that stuff. But to not talk about the blood of yeah. Jesus. That's um. That's crazy. It's scary. Man. It really is. And it again, is really scary. 
we're like it's trying to coddle people into the kingdom i don't think that's the i don't think that's the way to do it well and that is exactly i mean if i can you know tradition uh, transition here the coddling there is another big point chapter 14 in the book i think it's one of the biggest crises in the church because wow. it's a double double edged sword what we have is we have leaders who are trying to do, as we mentioned, Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. They've studied the Bible. They know that their number one job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Yes. But they've been so discouraged at times because the, I mean, we know even like the, the regular attender in churches, I think we've gone from three out of four Sundays a month to the regular attender is like 1.5 weekends a month that they teach. That wow. They it's that type of difference, you know. So wow. your, your 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 level of your attendee or even um, member is mm -hmm. going down, the spiritual level, and so the frustration is there for leaders. Like, how can we fix this? What do we do? And so sometimes, out of just necessity, we feel like we're like, look, okay, you guys go get your friends, bring them to church, and I'll get them saved. I mean, that's like the lowest form of evangelism. Evangelism, that we yeah. <laughs> believe, for, for believers. Because we're like, look, we understand that you're not going to go win the loss like you're supposed to at your job or in your everyday life. So you just get your friends to church. We'll make some really cool event that will excite them and, and, and yeah, lure man. them in or whatever. And then we'll try to get them saved. But then what happens is we continue to perpetuate the problem. Leaders now are allowing for their congregants to stay immature. They're yes. allowing, they're in fact, encouraging them. Oh, don't worry about sharing your faith. Instead of teaching them how to share their faith and sharing that every person is supposed to do Matthew 28, Come go and make disciples, not just pastors. We just continue to coddle believers and allow them. And this happens with worship leaders as well. Oh, heaven forbid we introduce a new song or, or do something that's outside of the norm or do something culturally mm. that might be different or whatever. We keep the bar so low <laughs> that nobody's expecting anything. Now it's a double-edged sword in the sense that sometimes pastors do this because they enjoy the power. And that's kind of scary because we're like, True. Hey, we want the people to need us. Wow. So we'll keep them at bay. We'll keep them. Hey, don't go read your Bible at home. You need to come to church if you want God. God doesn't, and nobody's saying those wow. things, but there's this feeling of, if I want healing, I have to get it from the pastor. I have to go to church in order to get the power of God. I can't really encounter mm. God in my house. That's a lie. Wow. You know, that's why the veil was torn so that we can encounter God in the, in the grocery store, at the gas station, in our homes, in our cars, and at church too, you know? So we have this tension that we've got to, to help. Uh, we've got to help encourage our congregants to grow. And so the whole thing that I present of the how to, right? That's the problem. I don't just present a bunch of problems in this book. Sure. And I go, well, you go figure it out. I actually give you practical ways of how to solve these issues. So the example on this one is, let's say you have a bunch of people. I love like Imagine a track meet. Okay. You got a track meet. You got all these, like, let's say we're at the Olympics, you know, and all the, the world's best athletes 
are getting ready to race. And so all these people are gathering in the bleachers, right? They've got their cushioned seats and they've got their coolers and, you know, they're ready to watch this amazing event. And this to me is what the modern church has turned into. You've got professional singers and professional musicians. I mean, they may be volunteers, but they're more talented than the people per se out in the audience or the congregation. Uh -huh. And so people come and they get their coffee and they get comfortable and they sit in the bleachers and they're, and they're cheering on the, the pastor, the talented speaker. Oh, my talented, wor oh, talented worship leader. Wow, these people are amazing. They touch my heart every week, you know. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm not uh, uh, numb or I'm not... Uh, What's the word? Um, anyways, yeah. So, but how do we fix this? Part of the way we do this is we think of the baton. If you're in that relay race, right, and you got the you got your baton and you're going to pass it, well, what if we step out? We find ways to step into the stands, and we mm. say, "Hey, I want you to take this baton, and I want you well, to run with it." Well, and they would go, "Ah, oh, I didn't bring the right shoes." I didn't bring the right clothes. That's I, well, that's you guys' job. You do that. No, but as leaders, if we are not coaxing people out of the stands as uh, uh, part not participants, but the opposite, like spectators, spectators, mm -hmm. right? We have too many spectators in church. We've got to be doing things. And one of the things, for example, that we can do to invite people to step out onto the, uh, the track with us is for example, and there's many things, but one of them would be to invite them to sing their own song to God. So yeah. we've sung this, yeah. this very popular worship song, and then we take a few moments, we say, hey, why don't you just begin to, as the band kind of vamps on this, you just begin to worship God on your own. You begin to tell them, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Just begin to sing. And of course, this takes time, and you have uh, it happens over many months, and you're giving scriptures as to why something like this would be helpful but as people, this is me going here, here's the baton. I'm going to step back as a professional and I'm going to invite you into this process. Yeah. Just think about it. If you're singing a song with the lyrics on the screen, I mean, we've all been there. I've zoned out. I sang through a whole song that I knew <laughs> and I get to the end. I'm like, I don't even know what I just sang. Right. <laughs> but when someone asks you to sing your own song, yeah, it's like asking someone to pray before a meal. Whoa, I got to think about that. Uh, okay, now I'm going to engage. Now you actually have to think about, well, what do I think about God? Yes, who yes. Who is he to me? So now I've given you the baton and you are going to grow as a believer as you begin to voice with your own mouth, not the thoughts of a professional songwriter, which is fine, but your own thoughts. Yeah. Your own expression to God. Yeah. And it becomes something that helps you. Not the first time. You're not going to become some massive spiritual giant or something. But as you grow in that idea of singing your own song, now you're stepping into a deeper one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. Man, so awesome. I, uh, I, I think that that allowing people that, I know that you said that's just an example, and there's different ways to do this, yes. but allowing people that moment in your worship service to sing out of their heart, even if it's awkward at first, even yes. if, you know, nobody says anything at first, I think that it's so important. That's like what that there's, um, you know, all these different Hebrew words for praise that we find in the Bible. There's this, the, the word tehillah, right. Uh, that mm -hmm. we see, uh, like enter into his gates with Thanksgiving into his courts with praise tehillah. 
and it's like this spontaneous song that comes out of your heart. And I think that if we don't give people that, there comes this moment in worship where, I mean, it could be lit. It could be a great worship service and people are really connecting with God. But you can only, I I don't know, like, I, I feel like at least in me, there's this thing where I'm, I'm at this point, like there's like this height of the worship song where it's taken me so far, but until I'm, I have that opportunity. And of course I can do that on my own. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like whether or not the worship leader gives me permission to do it or not, but most people don't, a lot of people I would say just don't, won't do that. They just won't go yeah. there because there's something else that's going on yeah. corporately. Exactly. And so just to like have that, that invitation to, just hey just begin to sing out your own song just express your own heart to the lord and it's like taking it to that next level where there's something i feel like there's something that's been building up inside of me as i've been talking to you lord as i've been singing to you i've been connecting with the words of this song there's worship flowing i feel like i'm in the river but like there's this next level where you allow people that ability to kind of really just get free by expressing their own heart to god in whatever way that comes out i think that that is um it's such a beautiful thing that that you that you brought that up and that you talk about that in the book i think it's so important that we yeah man again just coming back to the same thing the what what culture are we are we creating around our church life and our worship services and things like that are we creating this culture where we're not just spoon feeding everything to the people but we're making them or we're giving them opportunity to take things into their own hands and to say okay I am a worshiper. This is who I am. And so I'm going to do something with it where it's not just easy and comfortable all the time. Um, I don't think anything grows when it just stays in a place of comfort, right? We've got to, we've got to push those lines. We've got to push those boundaries. And that's the only way we grow individually. And I think as a church family, um, that's the only way that we, that we grow. That's the only way that we're going to change culture. I mean, that's right. You can't change culture without pushing the the lines of what's comfortable. Yeah, you know. And I think of it, you know, with the analogy of sheep and a shepherd. This to me is so important, and I think it becomes a revelation for people when they think of it this way. Um, we need to help create self feeders in the church. So many really people good. come to the church to feed off of the regurgitated word from the pastor. Pastor has studied all week. Isn't that what we pay him for, right? He studied all week. <laughs> he's been eating the word. He's been taking it into his body. And then he's going to regurgitate it for you and spoon feed his regurgitated cud or what I don't know what the word is to Jesus. you. Now, yeah. You can yeah. obviously get nourishment from that. But if we go back sure. to what the pastor's main role is, is, is to equip the saints equip. to do the work of yes. the ministry. Think of the analogy of sheep and a shepherd. I'm not, I, I'm not a sheep herder. Okay. So I don't know a whole lot about this, but as far as I understand, shepherds do not feed the sheep. Shepherds guide the sheep to new pastures. Come the on. sheep, unless they're wounded or orphaned, they're going to be eating on their own. They're grazing on their own. And even the weak and the orphaned would be helped until they're strong enough to take care of themselves. And that's the point as as leaders in the church, we've got to stop treating all of our congregants like babies and bottle feeding them, but get them to the place where they're expected. Now, pastors, guide your sheep to new to new pastures, right? Mm-hmm. That's the yes. idea of a shepherd. 
hey, we're going to focus on this topic this week. Now go home and study this and, and read and, and seek it out for yourself. Don't just buy what I say. Go know it for anyways. You understand the point there. Yeah, man. It's so good. So when we're, when we, you know, we're talking about wanting to develop culture in a certain way and where we're not wanting to just make everything so easy for people, but at the same time, we do want to have an aspect of excellence in our in our ministry and what we do and what we present. So how, how do you think those two things can come together in a healthy way? Yeah. I mean, you know what? My favorite scripture on this, and there are many, uh, but my favorite one is Psalm 78, 72. And this is the example of the balance of excellence and authenticity. A lot of people think that these two things are opposed to each other, that you mm. can't have this have one. You can't have both. You have to have yeah, one right. That if you're skillful, then that takes away from authenticity. Or if you're authentic, authentic, that takes away from skill. Um, David, it was said of David in Psalm 78, 72, that he leads or led the people of Israel with skillful hands and a true heart. It's beautiful. And that's how we're supposed to lead. Now, we're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. We're not saying that. But there is biblical precedent for excellence in the church. Now, here's the thing. I would say there is, there's a the reason is not primarily, I mean, maybe it is primarily to bring glory to God. God is excellent in everything he does. He calls mm -hmm. us to be in his image. So, so we should be excellent as we represent him, right? But here's where the rubber really meets the road for me. It's not about being excellent for excellence sake. Like, I'm not about that. I'm not about like, wow, we just need to be excellent because it's supposed to be that way. Like mm -hmm. there are things that that excellence actually does for us that will help us cultivate kingdom culture. For example, being prepared. And I was literally just telling this to our uh, worship teams at North Central yesterday. We were having this discussion and I said, guys, think, don't think that your preparation goes against you being able to flow in the Holy Spirit. Right. In fact, your preparation prepares you, you knowing your scales, you being able to do that drum fill, you working on your technique as a singer, all those things. The preparation actually makes you more free so that you can follow the Holy Spirit. Yes. If the Holy Spirit says, hey, sing that high note or play that one fill or directs you to do a certain thing and you haven't practiced, you're not going to be able to do those things. So you prepare, and even as a band, we get excellent. We learn the songs. We learn, we memorize the lyrics so that we're not focused so much. Imagine how how limited we would be, dude, if we constantly have our face in the in the music while we're playing. I can't be listening yep. to what the Holy yep. Spirit's saying. I'm not paying attention to whether the congregation is worshiping or not. I'm just trying to play the chords. So we... We focus on excellence so that we can be free to feel, okay, what's going on in the church? Are people bored? Are they responding? Are, they, are we missing something the Holy Spirit wants to do? You know, so there's so much precedent for both. But excellence is not a thing that we focus on in and of itself. It serves the overall mm -hmm. goal, which is to help people get into the presence of God. That's really good. I, I noticed something about myself when I, so um, I, I minister in, in Spanish. Um, I lived in Mexico for a little while. I, um, my wife and I were missionaries in Mexico for a few years, years ago. Uh, but that was, those were like the first years of my, of my ministry were 
in Mexico. So learning Spanish and going through all of that. And still to this day, because I, I do, I, I, I minister in Spanish at, at least once a week. Sometimes I teach some classes and things like that throughout wow. the week as well. But I'm not like practicing it as much as I probably should be. And there are days when I'm like really on it and the Spanish is just flowing out of me and there's no problems. There's other days where I'm like looking over at my wife, um, like, like, am I saying this right? Or like, how do I say this? And, and there's, there's days where things are just not flowing as they, as they should. And what I've found in myself is that when I'm having those days where the Spanish is not like right there, like readily, it's not coming out of me as best as it, as it could. I don't feel like I'm as fluent that I tend to revert to more like religious sounding language because because that's and I think it's probably because that's how I learned like I learned Spanish in the context of ministry and church I I learned Spanish it was really easy it became easier the first things that I could understand were sermons like what people preaching because generally they're not talking like a mile a minute and they're using scripture and there's things that I'm kind of connecting in my mind so I'm like okay I'm I'm getting the context clues and stuff like that and so my my Spanish was kind of formed in this you know place of being in in church settings and stuff like that right. and i'll find that i'll be a little bit more i just tend to, to be a little bit more like religious sounding like the cliches the cliche religious phrases and stuff like that that i kind or subconsciously or whatever revert to when i feel like i don't fully have the language that i'm looking for to express myself or express what i feel like god is saying in the moment and I think that that just correlates so much to what we do. And you you do talk about this in the book as well, that when, we, when we're not filled up or when we don't have that full freedom to really flow based on what we've experienced with God on our own, we do have this tendency to kind of just be grasping at those religious straws and, and to just kind of reverting to, like you, you said before, I, I think you said something about almost like putting on a show yeah. because we're not as prepared as we should be that's right um, yep. and uh and you know what i mean I, I noticed that in a natural way with the spanish language but that's i think right. it's the same thing when it comes to spiritually speaking when we haven't prepared by really being with the lord and allowing him to fill it we haven't dug that well as you as you use that yeah. analogy so we're just kind of pulling from what we know from what we've have had in the past happen or whatever but it's not necessarily what god is doing in the moment because we're just not connected there you know yeah well said i mean you know that that is so easy to happen as as leaders you know and i i think we've all been in those situations either on a stage where we felt like we were delivering those religious sounding lines you know for sure yeah or we've actually been in a service where we've heard somebody who kind of felt like they were just kind of yeah. going through the motions, you know, and, yeah. and and it happens right because if we're not prepared spiritually it shows and if we're not prepared, then also musically, it shows. And so those things, we want preparation first spiritually, but then also musically. And that, that'll help us to be more authentic, as you mentioned. Amen. Amen. Well, Jeff, thank you so much, man, again, for your time. Um, I'm going to pull this up on the screen just so people can see what the book looks like. Uh, cool. The book is called Spark. Again, um, I know it's available. I know it's available on Amazon and some other places, but also through your website, uh, jeffdio.com. Is there anywhere else that you would point people to either discover the book or your podcast or some of the other resources yeah. that you have available out there? 
Um, one thing I would say, and really those really are the only two places you can get it um, on Amazon. Now, of course, Amazon has your hardback copy. It has your softback uh, version. And the book is, it's pretty substantial. Uh, yeah, man. It's about 400 pages. It's legit. So, I mean, like the two books side by side, you know. <laughs> it's the, like the Bible. <laughs> right. You know, so, but you can get the the Kindle version. So we released that recently, the ebook. And then also the softback and the hardback. I don't have it available in Audible. That's going to be a big undertaking. I'm not sure Oof. if I'm going to do it or not. Um, I did with Awakening Pure Worship. So you can get the first book on Audible. But then uh, the other thing I would say, um, oh, what did I say? Oh, yes, important. If you are a worship pastor or a pastor or somebody connected to your worship team, you can get a discount for bulk orders. And that needs to happen through me and not even through the website so much, although you could email us through the mm -hmm. website. There's an email connection, info at jeffdo.com. So you can email there, but DM me, direct message me through Facebook or Instagram. Definitely follow me there, like all that good stuff, but direct message me and say, hey, listen, I'd love to consider getting 10 or more. It, it's making, it would make a massive uh, investment in your worship team. And it'd be, it's an incredible way for you. And then we provide, we can provide uh, discussion questions as well. And you go through the book over the course of a few weeks or a few months, even over a year. Uh, and then slowly but surely you are building that culture within your teams, which then also flows into your congregation. So just reach out to me if you want to get 10 or more, 15 bucks a book. That's awesome. Love it so much. Um, Jeff, any just uh, one final thought, one final thing on your mind to just share, whether it's about something we talked about or just about worship in general or yeah. uh, your favorite color or whatever it might be, just, you know. Well, I just want to encourage everybody. You know, I remember I shared this story in the intro of the book, but one of the reasons that I called this book Spark is because I was at a festival in Wisconsin, hot, hottest part of the day. Uh, not necessarily one of those outdoor festivals where you're not necessarily thinking about intimacy with God. Just, you know, there's cotton candy and hot dogs and, you know, everybody's in their lawn chairs fanning themselves. It's like 98 and a half degrees, you know. And uh, But there was a guy who came up to me after we led worship. His name was Frank. And he was like, he was like almost stumbling with his speech. And he was trying to explain to me, he's like, Jeff, like my life has changed. I, he's like, I came with my kids so they could ride the rides and we could see the fireworks and enjoy the bands. But as you guys led worship, I found myself lost in the presence of God. Everything else disappeared. It's just me and God in his presence. And he was just touching my life, refreshing me and reigniting something in me, sparking something in me that is really going to change my life from this day forward. And it was that moment. I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me, it was like a setup for me because I'm like, that is what I want for every person on the planet to have that type of encounter, not necessarily with me or with my music, sure. but with God, no matter in what setting, in your home, at a festival, at your church, in your office cubicle, in your car, if, if everybody could have that type of encounter, it would change their life. So that's my heart for you. If you are not spending time with God alone, I encourage you do a little thing I call 10, 10, 10, spend 10 minutes with God in prayer, 10 minutes with God in worship, musical worship, and 10 minutes with God in the word every day. That's 30 minutes. 
you got time to spend time with the God who made time. So I'd encourage you to do that. Start that. Go to 2020, 20, 30, 30, 30, whatever. But that'll change your life. That's so good, man. Isn't that a crazy thought? I don't have time to spend time with God. <laughs> hey, we all we all think that, oh, God, I'm doing all this ministry. For sure. Just a minute. I'll, I'll be with you in a minute. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, man, I do it, too. It's such a yeah. it's such a it's such a crazy thought um, that comes into our head. But I love that, man. It's so good. God is so good. And Amen. what he has for us is it's so much better than what we give him credit for, I think, so often. And so often we settle for just kind of, as you mentioned earlier, kind of scraping the bottom of the well. We, we settle for these things that are just so unnecessary because he's opened himself up to us and given us access to his world, to his presence. And um, yeah, I, I, again, I love this book. I can't recommend it enough. I think it's going to help people really just go to a new level of um, just recognizing what's available to them in Christ on yes. a very foundational level, um, but then seeing some of the practical ways to really live out a worship lifestyle and then more in, in terms of a corporate setting, um, leading worship teams and leading ministries and things like that, but from a place of developing kingdom culture um, yes. through that leadership process, which is so key. So again, man, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for coming back on the show. I really enjoyed the conversation like so much. And I think you added a ton of value and I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Duke. It's my pleasure. Enjoy being on again and be glad to do it again in the future. Awesome. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks for taking the time to check out this episode, watching or listening or however it was that you were here. Really appreciate you and uh, see you next time. Have an awesome day. All right, guys, episode's over. want to thank you again so much for taking the time to check out this conversation. I hope that it blessed you. If you're looking for a way that you can support this podcast, you can do that by sharing, subscribing, or leaving a review. Thank you so much in advance. If you happen to be looking for a way that you can monetarily support this podcast and just kind of help us keep the lights on, then you can do that by following the link that's in the show notes of this podcast episode. And for as little as $5 a month or even as a one-time donation, you can um, become a contributor to this podcast and that would just really mean the world to me. It will also open up for you some exclusive content that's only available for people that become contributors of the show. And also, if you happen to do that, if you become a contributor to this podcast, I'd also like to share some other free gifts with you. I'd like to uh, send you a digital copy of both of my books, my book, Simple Power, as well as What Is God Saying, which is a sort of a comprehensive guide to learning how to hear God's voice more clearly and more consistently in your daily life in practical ways. I'd like to send those to you. I can't do that through the website currently, so you'll just have to let me know. You can contact me through one of the social media platforms, just direct message me or through my website. You can email me at duke at simplepowermedia.com. Just let me know that you became a contributor of the show. You don't have to tell me how much it was or anything like that. Anything gets you um, just kind of put into this group where I do just want to express my gratitude and I'd like to send you a free digital copy of both of those books. So again, thank you everybody in advance. Love you all. Thanks for being a part of this podcast in any way, shape, or form. Hope you have an awesome rest of your week. I look forward to seeing you next time.